we're going to be uh, in our third of four sermons about Stephen, okay? Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 37 through 43, we're going to do that as quickly as possible tonight. Uh, we're going to be looking at Stephen, and remember that Stephen has been brought in for questioning regarding his gospel ministry, and four charges have been brought against him. Can anybody remember what those four are? They all start with blasphemy, but blasphemy of what? Blasphemy of the law. The law? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Moses. Blasphemy of Moses, <coughs> blasphemy of the Lord. God, and blasphemy of blasphemy of the temple. Yep, knew it. The, oh, you knew it. All right. Good. You guys are listening. This is awesome. All right. So, and we've also seen how Stephen has crafted his responses to each of these charges in four specific ways. Okay, what's the first thing he does? He keeps their attention. attention. How does he do that? He tells their story. story. He defends what? His faith, faith, not himself. He indicts them of their what? Sin. Sin. And then what does he do? He presents The the gospel. He presents Christ. You guys are awesome. Y'all getting this? It's amazing. Alright. In his responses, we see that he keeps their attention by telling them their story of their own people. And we've talked about there's no better way to keep someone's attention by making everything about them. Who doesn't like to hear people, you know, tell how how they're, you know, tell their history, as long as they're telling it accurately. And in fact, you know, they're they're listening probably for no other reason than to try and catch me saying something wrong. Okay? Because while it's really cool when everybody's just gushing about you, it's also really frustrating when you find out somebody's telling your life story in, you know, with some inaccuracies. So they're listening to hear if he gets it all right. Okay, So he's got their attention. Okay? Um, and then we see that he, he doesn't defend himself. He, he doesn't complain about how unfair it is that they've accused him of these things. He doesn't necessarily beg for mercy because, remember, these are some of the same guys who crucified Jesus. So he knows he's dealing with some pretty serious guys. And these charges are very serious. So what we see him doing is he just stays focused on the mission. God help me to do that because I get so distracted. But... But he stays focused on the mission. What's the mission? The mission is truth. The mission is ministry. The mission is the gospel. And that's what he's defending. He indicts them of their sin. He brings to light how they have treated Jesus just as their ancestors treated all of God's prophets. He reveals to them their guilt concerning the death and rejection of Jesus as Savior. And then lastly, he presents Christ through the story of Joseph. That was the first one. And then he presents Christ, as we saw last week, by recounting the, the history of Moses. And we saw how he does that in a really powerful way through Moses. And so tonight we're going to move forward and look at how he responds to the accusation of, of him blaspheming the law. And remember that these are serious charges. It would be like me or, or another preacher Somewhere just standing up and just butchering the truth of the gospel. Taking everything out of context and, 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 and saying, you know, Jesus didn't really mean that we should love our enemies. He didn't really mean this. He didn't really mean that. And just completely distorting the gospel. See, whenever people do that today, typically all we do is label them as a heretic and we stop listening to them. In this day, 
Back in Stephen's time, it was much more serious than that. I mean, the law was sacred. The law was attached to God. The law was everything that they lived by. And so to blaspheme the law was excommunication from from Jewish society at, at least, if not worse than that. So, let's take a look at our text for tonight, understanding where we've been and, and, and kind of what Stephen's dealing with here. This is what the Word of God says. Going right from talking about Moses into the law, he said, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. He is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him, but pushed him away in their hearts, turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Even, they even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to idols, and were celebrating what their hands had made. Then God turned away and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices forty years in the wilderness? No. You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphan, the images that you made to worship, so I will deport you beyond Babylon." So, again we see that Stephen is telling their story. He's giving them a history lesson. Okay? He's using language that would be familiar to them. Okay? It isn't hard for them to understand what he's saying. If nothing else, they're just sticking with him, like I said, to see if he's going to slip up. They're paying attention. We also see that he's defending truth. Never in there, in this part of his response, do we see him talking about himself. He doesn't say, well, guys, you just misunderstood me. Let me share my heart with you. He doesn't do those things, even though that's kind of my first thing that I want to do whenever I feel like I'm being criticized. or I want to defend myself. I want to, I want to bring people to understand me better. But that's not what Stephen does here. Okay, thirdly, he indicts them of their sin. And we've, we've looked at the last two weeks, so let's look at it again in verse 51 and 53. The indictment, the accusation that he places on them is this. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Pretty cut and dry. Okay, What he's saying is you are stubborn and you would rather be ignorant and wrong than to be open to the truth. You are religious, but you're resistant to what the Holy Spirit wants for you. You are just like your ancestors whose foolishness and sins against God's prophets are all well documented. You are sinful, and that's the reason why God died on a cross. I mean, he's pretty much just putting it all on them. He's, he's, he's indicting them, but, but like we said, we don't just leave people in despair. We present the gospel. So then for the third time now, he presents Jesus. Look back at verse 38. This is what 38 says. He is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai 
and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Who is the He? It's Moses. Moses was the one on the mountain with God, with the angel of the Lord. It was Moses who received the oracle, the living oracles. Okay? Oracles are like laws or commandments, instructions. Okay? So, so of course, we see that Stephen is building his case about the law. So let's look at the law real quick. Okay? Because whenever he brings up the law, you know, we might be thinking about a lot of things. Like, what, were we talking about the speed limit? You know, how fast your donkey could go? Or, or what is the law that you're dealing with here? So let's look back, okay? We're going to go into Exodus 19, and I'll just read them really quickly, kind of the Cliff Notes version of the Ten Commandments, because that's what was the law. That was the law, the living oracles that God gave to Moses, and Moses gave to the people to obey. And this is what they say. It starts out with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He's reminding them of where they've come from. Egypt, slavery, oppression. Number one, do not have any other gods besides me. Not before me, but besides me. None at all. One God. Worship one God. Don't even put any, any others on the list. Okay? It's not that I need to be first. It's that I am only. That's it. Number two, do not make an idol for yourself to worship or bow down to. He's saying, not only don't, don't have any other gods on the list, don't make, and what he says here is, don't even make an image of anything in heaven or on earth or below in the sea to, to worship. There's a real big side note. In the ivory towers of theology, people debate on whether or not like having pictures of Jesus is a second commandment violation, stuff like that. Just you know, something you might want to think about. Um, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying it's interesting that people talk about that. Number three is don't misuse the name of God. And this doesn't just mean you know swearing Jesus' name or swearing God's name. It means you represent, you're an ambassador of, of Christ. You represent the character. That's what a name means, right? It's who you are. So if you say you're going to be one of God's people, don't misuse His name. Don't do nothing in vain. Don't do nothing with His name. Do something and you better do it accurately according to His commands. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, don't lie about people. And number ten is don't be jealous of what someone else has. So where is Jesus in all this? Look at verse 39. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey Him, Moses, but pushed Him away in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. Stephen is still using Moses as an illustration for Jesus. Does that sound familiar to anyone? He brought living oracles, instruction, teaching. He brought a covenant. He brought an agreement to us. After bringing us out of slavery and giving us a hope for a promised land of peace, 
and saying, You will be my people and I will be your God. I will redeem you and I will make you a great nation. I'll keep you secure and blessed for all of eternity if you will just trust me that these Ten Commandments are what's best for you. Jesus came and He did something very similar, didn't He? Jesus said, I've come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. The, Israel, the Jews weren't living abundant life. They were under Roman authority. They were occupied. Jesus says, Jesus says, I've come to you so that I can bring you life, so that, so that the slave can be set free, so that the oppressed can be rescued. I've come to redeem you from slavery and to bring you into victory and freedom. I've come to give you a new covenant that, you, that if you will just trust me that these two things are good for you, that these two commands are good for you if you just obey these two commands. And what were they? What were the two commands that Jesus summed up the entire law? Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets depend on these. So what he's saying what Stephen is saying is that you had Moses, a lawgiver. He came. God was going to establish a covenant through the law that Moses brought. And just, remember the indictment, just as your ancestors rejected Moses, there was a new Moses, a perfect Moses, who came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. He brought the law, set it before you to establish a new covenant, and you pushed him away. And you said, I'd rather have something else. Stephen's presenting Christ and the law. Stephen is saying, essentially, you want to, you, you want to, you want to talk about the law, you want, to, you want to accuse me of blaspheming the law, but look at what you've done. Look at the circumstance, okay? Stephen has been brought in, they have it set in their hearts that they're going to trip him up as best they can so that they'll have a justification to kill the man, to stop his ministry. And Stephen is saying, you've missed the entire law completely. You've missed it. Whether it's Moses' law that you're saying I'm blaspheming, or it's the fulfillment of the law in Christ, either way, you've completely missed it. Because of the way you're treating me. Because of the way you're treating everyone else. I completely jumped ahead in my notes and now I'm completely messed up here. So give me just a second. If Jesus summed up the law as love God and love your neighbors, then the one who has blasphemed the law were Stephen's accusers, not Stephen. The sad reality is that they were so blinded by their religiosity that they could not see that they were missing the big picture of the law. The law was meant to unite. Okay? The law was meant to bring people together. The law was meant to define a nation of people who would love and serve God and love and serve each other. Obedience to the law was supposed to be the defining mark of a nation of people who were blessed by God. And by that nation, 
By the example of relationship with God, that nation would be an example to all other nations. And, and, and all other nations would see the goodness of God towards those who obey. And then all other nations would want to obey God as well. That's what, that's what God said back in Exodus. You know, some of the very first words He said corporately to the nation of Israel was that if you will obey My commands, I will be your God, and you will be My people, and I will make you a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? Well, it represents who God is and what He's like so that everyone else can see who God is and what He's like. He says, I'm going to make the whole name. If you'll just obey these commands, you're going to be like a kingdom of priests that people can look at and see hope in the darkness of this world. And they'll obey too. Nothing has changed. We still have the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Those are His words. Look at the book of James. We're going to end here, okay? If you look at the book of James, Brother Ronnie preached this Sunday night. This very passage. If you look at the book of James in chapter 4, this is what I'm talking about. James is addressing some relational issues among the believers and he is trying to get them focused on being obedient to the law of Christ, the law of grace, the law of love, instead of all of the infighting and division that was occurring. And look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 11. He's talking about the law here. He says, Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So essentially what James is saying is kind of going along with what Stephen was saying. He was like, Stephen was saying, you guys aren't getting the law. You're missing it completely. You, you, there's no hope for you until you can see that Christ came to fulfill this law. I'm believing in the one who fulfills your sacred law. It's kind of like arguing with somebody who agrees with you, but they don't want to be found agreeing with you. They're so stubborn that, that they just they can't see that there's really not that big of a difference in what you're saying. You ever have one of those arguments? You're like, I really think we're saying the same thing. But they're like, no, we're not saying the same thing. You're wrong. When really the, the, the Sanhedrin was like, listen, the law is sacred. We love the law. We live by the law. And Stephen was like, great, me too. But the thing is, I don't have faith in the law. I have faith in the one who fulfills the law. I have faith in the one who, who has come to make the law perfect through him. I have faith in the one who's, who's given me a new law of grace. And he's just summed it up. I mean, if you look at the first four, it's all about loving God. You look at the last six, it's about loving people. So it's the same law. They were saying the same thing. They just couldn't get there. And what James is saying is, is church, you miss it. You miss it when, when, when you do things to misrepresent the name of Christ. How do we misrepresent the name of Christ? 
Well, James says you do it by criticizing one another, by judging one another, by being harsh with one another. He says if you criticize one another, essentially what you're doing is you're criticizing the law. You're saying, I know better than the law. I'm above the law. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing to Stephen, isn't it? Or the Sadducees were doing to Stephen. They were criticizing him. They were trying to tear him down. They were trying to, to, to extinguish his, his ministry. But the law is, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what James calls the royal law, is love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you do that, you're doing really well. Jesus said, how will they know that you're my disciples? In that, the way you love one another. So guys, I really, I really hope tonight that you're, you're seeing this, this picture of Christ in the law. You're, you're seeing how Stephen was reminding the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and everyone else listening. That listen, yes, we have the law of Moses. And yes, the law of Moses is sacred. It's straight from the, the mouth of God. But there's one who's come and he's greater. And his name was Jesus. And He came to fulfill the law. He explained the law. He brought a personal heart condition to, to interpreting the law. He says, he says, the law says don't be angry. Or don't kill. Don't murder. But I say, don't even be angry with your brother or your sister in your heart because you're, you're guilty of murder if, if that's the case. And the law says don't commit adultery. But I say don't even look at a, a woman with lust in your heart. You've already committed adultery. See, Jesus came and he, he took this law from, from a rigid do and don't, you know, just basic action mentality of as long as I don't kill anybody, I haven't broken the law, but I sure would like to kill some people. You failed. Jesus says, it's, you, that, that's what he's saying is, is Jesus says, without me. And Stephen's saying, without Jesus. Without putting, your, without putting your faith in the one who fulfills the law, you have no hope of, of, of living up to it. So we see two commands stripped down the law into two commands, and it's this, love God. Don't love God most. Just love God only. Among all the other options you can worship, all the other options you can put your faith and trust in, money and your education and your good looks and all that stuff to get you by in life, God says, Jesus says, just love God. And then He says, if you love God, the next thing is to love your neighbor as yourself. Because that is the complete summation of everything God was trying to communicate in the Old Testament. And over and over and over again, the Sanhedrin's ancestors missed it. And they missed it. That's why he calls them stiff-necked. And with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Because they were unwilling to see how they had missed it. Guys, don't miss it tonight. Don't miss the law. Don't miss Jesus, what He's trying to communicate tonight through Stephen's response to his accusations. We are to love one another. Simply that. We are to, to be merciful when we fail. We are to be gracious when we annoy one another. We are to be forgiving when, when we sin against one another. We are to love one another. 
I really think that as we grow in love, we grow in respect and regard for one another, that that will be the thing that people start to look at in our ministry and in our lives and say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And I know it begins with me as the minister. I know it, it, it begins with our youth committee. I know it begins with some of our older students who have been here to set examples for younger students. But ultimately, you have a choice tonight on whether or not you're going to, to live according to this wonderful, beautiful law of the gospel. As believers... It's really our only choice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your goodness. I thank You, God, for the grace that You have given us. Lord, I thank You that You don't ask us to do this without giving us the power of Your Holy Spirit to make it possible. Lord, I pray that You would help me to grow in love, to grow in graciousness and mercy, to grow in humility. And Father, that, that You would, um, Lord, Bring us all to a place to where we are unified in one thing, and that is our love for You. And Lord, our love for one another will just flow out of that. God, thank You for Your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that You would bless these students and their families. Lord, be with us as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.